The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. This is episode 13 of Career Blast and a Half. And the guest that I have on today is a very inspirational woman. And one of the things that I love so much about Susie Tomanchuk, and I'm going to explain why I'm saying her name the way that I just did, Tomanchuk, because it's kind of like Ben and Jerry's, Tom and Persand Chuck. So easy way to remember it. I love that. Why she's so inspirational is because she's taken the sting and the ick factors out of negotiating. And her book is called Negotiating Without Manipulation. And what that really is all about is making sure that you're not waiting around for those high stakes situations to start practicing your negotiation skills and then find yourself freaking out or worried about whether or not you're doing the right thing or putting yourself at risk of maybe losing money or more risk over asking. So Susie Tomanchuk, I am so thrilled to have you here. Please introduce yourself and also, I mean, how do you fall into this niche of negotiation? Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here for so many reasons, but I just adore you. You're making such an impact. So I love that aspect. I was at with a Fortune 50 company and I was doing business deals at a time where if you had an outgoing personality and you could make relationships, they put you in front of the deal because there wasn't just a lot of muscle around those skills. And so just by default, I started doing these deals that happened to be big deals because we were talking about satellite space and encryption equipment. And so just by default, we had millions of dollars that were tied into these deals and long-term deals. And so I had to, I mean, we're talking CEOs and CFOs were in the room. And so I had to figure out how kind of the art of negotiation, and I learned a lot from watching others. And I did a, a lot of coursework, you know, after I realized, oh my gosh, I better start feeling a little bit more about what I'm doing because I've done pretty good trying to pretend that I'm doing well. So after I did that for 10 years, was successful, went and worked for another company. I started coaching people and somebody said, you know, you should put your advice down in a book. And that's why what was the catalyst for me for the book. But also during that time, I realized negotiation happens outside of the boardroom when I wouldn't I would just believe that I'd be recognized and rewarded if I worked really hard. And I advocated for everyone around me. And my peer, Dan, would ask for everything and he would get things. And I just by default, I'd get them too because we were the same level. And I realized that 
I didn't want to be the path of least resistance by not asking. I was not signaling that I was interested. So they would just say, well, Susie's okay. She doesn't need this thing. And I didn't like that. And I knew that that was important to just voice, even though it felt uncomfortable. Like I have this story around an office, they gave me a great office and it wasn't at the corner. You want to ask for the corner office like that sound. Oh, so selfish. They're going to fire me. They're going to think I'm all these things that go on in our heads. And just realized how much I was opting myself out of opportunities because I didn't see it every day. And then on top of that, just having three teenage girls and now who are in their 20s, toward the end of those, and seeing how that impact that I had on them just by osmosis really helped them frame situations where they needed to be courageous or just make the decision whether they were going to push forward, made me realize we all need to understand that this is a tool that we use in every situation. And when we don't allow ourselves the the glasses, the optics, to seize opportunities, that when we don't understand that as a tool, we just accept what's given to us. And I don't want people to just accept what's given to you. Right. Because that's on you. If you just sit back and say, well, it says this, it says that, and you don't ask, then you're pretty much either a victim to the circumstance or you're basically just signing up and saying, yep, that's okay with me, when in fact it may not be. So I want to talk about this four-letter word that's not a four-letter word, but it acts like a four-letter word, which is the term negotiating. And so what I really want to talk about, because there's so much that talked about with negotiation, obviously, Chris Voss, right? Never split the difference. A lot of people have read that and seen his masterclass. We hear about negotiation being a win-win. But in your case, the flavor of negotiation that you really focus in on is without manipulation. And so when you talk about negotiation, tell us why that word makes us all men and women, but I will say probably, is it probably more women? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's men too, even though the research really does so that about women. But yeah, it depends on the situation. But I would say if you made me choose, I would say, yeah. So why does this, I don't even know how many letters it is. Why does negotiating act like a four-letter word? Yeah. Because we all have a different relationship with it. We've all had experienced things that felt uneasy. And depending on how we were brought up and women especially, we do things for the good of others and for the good of the family. You know, the early research from Linda Babcock, she's from Carnegie Mellon, right before kind of the Sheryl Sandberg, like, but she informed the Sheryl Sandberg. She talked about how we women would set the table and do things for the family versus that the boys would mow the lawn or wash the car and their their father would give them more money you know, for that above and beyond. So they learn to be conditioned in that way. And while that sounds very outdated in this day and age, they still show that the it still is definitely toward that kind of feeling of. And I think that 
the way that we see negotiation and we think about it, you know what I think about is, you know, when we were younger and especially, and they talked about don't do drugs. And as a little kid, you picture this scary figure like in a trench coat that's going to come up to you and like put you in a corner and force you to take drugs. But the way they didn't tell you is it's your friend. It's your best friend saying, you know, and negotiation kind of has that same, we have this space for it. And we just like, we know we need to be good at it. I'll look at a YouTube video the night before a high stakes negotiation. That'll be enough. So wait, I want to go back to the drugs thing because, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. That's my favorite is when you're saying that you're depicting like it's like this, you know, dope dealer who's talking to you about drugs. But in reality, it's really your bestie that's like, hey, come on, you're like, come to this party. Let's smoke a doobie. And that it's not necessarily a negotiation is the same way. You don't have to wait for this boogeyman or this like crack dealer to come to your house and be like, hey, by the way, time to negotiate. This is like, it's happening. It happened to me just this morning when I got recurring billing situation. I was like, I don't really use it anymore. I should really cancel it. And they're like, sorry, you know, we can't cancel it because, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, it's part of your plan. I was like, well, you just billed me today and I don't want to use it anymore. And so I took the extra step and put that in the subject line, like, please refund this and complete this by the end of the day. And it happened. Being clear and being confident in your value, like really understanding that's part of it is instead of looking at it as something, understand it. When we understand it, we are able to open up those opportunities and say, oh, this is what's happening to me. I don't want to pay this bill. They're making me feel this way, but this isn't something that's important to me. So I'm going to say no or I'm going to do this and be really firm about it. And part of it is being really clear about what you want, or even taking the time to think about that in every situation, because we can be our own worst enemy. Totally. And you have a framework for this. So I really want to bring in your PACE framework, because frameworks are amazing. And thank you, listeners, for being here, because this is for you, this framework. If you are struggling with negotiation, and most of us are, and especially in practicing that, like right now, okay? Like right now, when you're done with this, when you figured out how to send in a, you know, a review for the podcast and reach out to Susie, right after that, I want you to put this framework <laughs> into place. Hit it, Susie. Tell us what PACE stands for. Yes. Every good concept has to have a framework. So the framework PACE, P-A-C-E, stands for prepare, aware, close, and evaluate. So when you accept the idea that negotiation is in every conversation, whether it's with your partner, your kids, your peer, your boss, all these things, when you think about being really clear about how you're going to move forward, it allows the outcomes. Because really, when you think about the core of negotiation, it is finding two parties to have an outcome that is clear, we'll just say, whether it's a win-win, whatever. So pace allows you to be thoughtful around that. So prepare is P. Prepare is taking the time to think about the interests, your own interests. Be clear. What do I want out of this conversation? Even if it's 30 seconds to say, what is the outcome? How am I going to feel? If I feel really nervous, why is that? 
and identifying so that those things don't get in your way? What is the leverage that is they have? What are the alternatives that both parties have? We recently went to Harvard to do their negotiation course. And one thing they said is, if you spend, they had two different groups, if you spend 30 seconds thinking about the interests of the other party without your bias to it, it, the results for success are measurable. They didn't have the specifics. They just said measurable. 30 seconds to understand what's in the mind of somebody else. Sometimes when we're approaching a, a difficult conversation because it's difficult, that invokes emotion. So just allowing us to contemplate, be curious about this before we walk in, allows us to be more objective in the moment. So prepare is everything. And you also talk about, you know, in that preparation stage, you talk about having a BATNA, right? Having a BATNA and how to mitigate against those things that can throw things off called surprises. So if you could just touch on those two, because I think that those in particular are really helpful. Yes. So BATNA is your best alternative to a negotiating agreement. And it is key. When you think about that, when you think about a situation where the only alternative was the job or this, like you feel that you're just going to say yes. You don't have a lot of leverage, a lot of power, a lot of confidence. But when you have a BATNA and you have an alternative, even if you don't want to take it, but it's a really good alternative, what that does is it allows you to understand what your walkaway is. Because you have something else, it clarifies what that kind of floor is. And we all need a walkaway, right? Because otherwise, you'll be spineless. Yeah. Right? And in that case, you lose your, your respect, not just from the other person, but I think mostly to yourself, right? How many times have you been like, well, I caved? Ugh. Because you didn't have that batna and you didn't have that you know, that basement where it says, and I see that happening all the time when people get to a place of struggle and or desperation in their search. And then they're like, well, I'm just going to go for, you know, a lower title and a lower compensation rate because at this point, they're not willing to negotiate for their own value. Totally. Right. And to make that point, to reiterate your point, how often do we not even consider what our walkaway is? Why not? We don't, and even if you're not, you end up not walking away. Why not say, what would make me not want to move forward with this, with this situation? Totally. Right. Right. The power to that. Yeah. Talk about the A in pace. Yeah. So when you're prepared, it allows you to be more agile and objective in the moment because you've kind of thought through what could, is possible, where you're going, how you might feel. Emotions will trigger you, but if you're aware that they're going to come it to you, you can identify them and say, okay, there's that emotion. I knew I was going to be nervous. I'm not going to go back. Sometimes when we're nervous, we're like, well, it's not the right time. Maybe I'll do it another time. Maybe they're just not in the right state of mind. And we will easily retreat, especially if we're nervous about it. But if we've thought about that in that moment, we can make better decisions. Okay, my plan was this was it. I am going to execute. So being aware of the other party and when we can actively listen and we need to understand their interests, even if we believe we do, we need to really understand more and dig in more. So 
that awareness is going in your head going, okay, they're understanding that I'm, how are they feeling? Are they getting to yes? What else do I need to talk to them about? And so you're kind of in that moment going, how am I moving the conversation to get to an agreement? So can we also marry awareness with anticipation? Because I think that there's a lot that's happening when you are aware. Like if you know that you're up against, I mean, I'm just going to say it. My ex-husband, he was a master. This guy, literally, like the sharpest, ruthless negotiator ever. And so I would have to go through a lot of anticipation yes, and aware, my own self-awareness with what I was going to be dealing with, right? He was like, oh, like, this guy could be scary. So how do I keep my cool, prepare, prepare, and how am I aware of how that is going to show up for me when, when I'm going head to head? Absolutely. And it's identifying the power in the room, right? Your anticipation. So I like to think about even in a, say you're in a corporate environment and you have a room full of people. I like, instead of multitasking, kind of asking yourself, ooh, that's interesting. Why'd they ask that question? What's the power? How am I feeling? How are they feeling? And it gives you that. Because I like to think about, to your point, I used to negotiate against a guy that was really intimidating and he was a great negotiator, shrewd. He would pull anything to get what he wanted. He would like, he was awful, really awful. And I would get nervous. I would wear a special suit that day. Like everybody always knew the same suit. It was white, you know, very outdated now, but very in in at the time. And I would need to ask him about his kid. Like if I just started, then that would humanize and I could literally see myself going, okay, He's just a human. Like, so I often think about where is my power in this situation and how do I give myself more confidence? What do I need to do? Wear a power suit, go for a walk, think of all the upside before the deal. There's research around if you have mindset that is oh, uh, yeah. very positive about where you're going. So how do you need to shift that so that you don't become triggered by their power? I love that. Uh, thanks for adding that in. That was awesome. I could totally see you in a white suit, even today. <laughs> it's okay. We'll bring it back. And the C, what is the C? C? Yes, is close. And you know they say that negotiation, as everyday conversations, are riddled by communication dysfunction. And so, getting really watching when that person's ready to say yes, being clear about what is important to you, and making sure that. Okay, I hear you. We have an agreement. Let's move forward. And whatever that is, and making sure there's clarity and close. What are like some of the telltale signs that somebody's ready to close? Give us like a one or yeah. two, like, you know, ooh, there's the tell. Ooh, there's the tell. Well, I do want to say that some, especially salespeople, they'll, I have a plan. I have 15 slides. I'm going to go through this. And at five slide, or it could be a senior manager, you know, somebody in the organization, five slide, they're ready to say yes. But in your mind, I have a plan. There's a 15 slides we're going to go through. So often, we are not keyed into when the other person's ready to agree. And so being able to, I can't, the aware piece of it and being able to understand what is it going to take. So even asking, I believe that we're, we're there. This is what I'm hearing you saying and making them articulate where they are, or asking, what is it going to take you? What do you need from me? 
to get you to say yes. And there's a lot of different ways you can say that. But, you know, you always hear he's a good closer. She's a good closer. You know, you hear that. And it's because we need to see those signs in the other person and have them articulate that back to us. So it's identifying that. Yeah. A lot of times I think that there is, at least I have seen this very powerfully executed, is the need to just shut up and let people simmer or sit with that decision. And oftentimes we're tempted to either overdo it uh, Mm -hmm. with overselling and or needing to like, we're anxious, we're anxious. So it can sound like you're that try hard, right? And that can also screw up a deal. So that's part of awareness. If you know that you're perhaps an over talker or you're nervous, like remember that the time to really evaluate and allow for that close to happen is a, a byproduct of what you've done in steps one and two. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you made me think too is also don't over celebrate in the moment because you're so relieved to be done. Or if you got more than you expected, we tend to want to just show so much appreciation but that might feel really weird to the person because they Ooh, that's important here. Mm. They don't know what you've gone through to get here. So make sure that you stay in the negotiation and that you are respectful, like keep that power balance. That sounds great. I think that I can go with that, even if it's double what I thought it was going to be. That sounds great to me. I think that'll be, that'll work well. So what do we need to finalize? Yes. So I think that that's, I think that that's really important. Don't overtalk and don't over-celebrate. I've been guilty of that because I get so excited when mm-hmm. people are excited. So I'm like, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, I know that you find that shocking. <laughs> Evaluate. So like what is happening in the evaluative state when you are reviewing what you've done? And let's just say you feel like you didn't negotiate very well. Yeah, you know, that I think I call it negotiation hangover because we can spend a lot of time with the what ifs. What if I would have asked for more? What if these things, I should have done this? Evaluate is really looking at what you did and taking time, even writing it down. What really worked? What would I like to work on? And if you're really clear about where you're going, you shouldn't want to understand if you could have gotten more. And most of the time, you don't really know. Like they don't necessarily know. So, why does it matter? Be If you are clear about your floor and ceiling, your ceiling and your floor, or your walk away and what you really want, and that zone of negotiating agreement, you're, if you understand that clearly, then if you got it, feel good about it. And don't t- ask yourself, what if I could have gotten this? What if? How do I get better? And maybe I need more clarity next time. And so just as prepare is really important, Evaluate allows you to kind of flex that muscle and continue to practice little by little because we're practicing what we want to be in the future every day. Exactly. And I know that there is sometimes the hangover or remorse, right? Shanta I should have asked for more. It was too easy or the opposite, right? Like I got more than I realized and, you know, I left money on the yeah. So, yeah. And look at it as data. 
you know? Yeah. Don't beat yourself up. I think the the shorthand there. Yeah. I would love for you to share a couple of tips before we get into our signature questions with respect to like where today, right? Because that's what I'm asking our listeners to do. Today, what can we do to start practicing those low stakes opportunities for negotiation? And what are some of maybe the kind of things that or the elements that start encouraging uh, a better outcome for ourselves? Yeah, I think if in every conversation, like just in the next conversation you're going into, whether you're talking about the movie you're going to go see or the restaurant, start noticing your natural tendencies of what how you get to that solution and be clear about what you want. Like ask yourself, what would I want out of this? And start making that a normal activity that you do because just doing that is going to give you something to aim for. You'll be surprised how much we don't have that clarity. And then I like to think of leverage. Leverage is like the, you know, it's the pie. It's not a set pie, but it's what are all the levers that are important in that prep? What's important to me? What's important to the other party? What's what's in kind of play? And so exploring that out of curiosity before you go in. And your I think this one, I really want to leave as one of the tips is, what is your relationship with no? Tell us. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One is we believe that no is easy for others to say to us. Yet we all live in bodies that we know it's hard to say no. And the research shows, and they've proven this over and over, that it is really hard for people to say no. But because our assumption is that it's easy, we tend to not ask. So asking more and realizing, you know, no is not like, no, you can't have that. No is, you know, not right now. We'll have to consider that later. We can't do that. They're pathetic answers. So out of curiosity, instead of retreating, say, I hear you. Help me understand what are the factors that would move forward, kind of forcing them to be a little bit more clear about their no. And out of curiosity, that it might unlock something in them that goes, oh, well, if you just did this, then I could say yes. Instead of us going, nope. So what is that no? And on the other side, do you need to deliver it more? Oh, yeah. I think that that's huge. I know for myself, the reason why I don't like to say no is because I don't want people to be mad and I don't want people not to like me and I don't want people to, whatever that narrative is, right? Yes. And then I end up signing up for potentially more than I should. <laughs> and so, you know, then it's on me if I'm overextended. So I love that, you know, what is your relationship to know and to really explore that? Uh, there's a lot of deep, deep thinking there, which yeah. uh, it's a lot of work. It is. But also, if you don't examine it, then either you're a martyr or, or a victim someplace in between. So here are the signature questions that I love to ask people because, you know, it gives me a chance and everyone else a chance to know you outside of your specific area of expertise. And I think they're fun. So the first question is whether it's related to this topic of negotiation or even, you know, just other areas where you could build leverage in your career. What's the best book or the recommended book that people should dive into? 
oh, okay. It's funny how all these books kind of like filter through and then it stops. Thanks for the feedback. I know that sounds crazy, but it is a must have. Like I wish I would get something back for saying it, but it's a Harvard based, been around for a long time, but man, we need it in every relationship that we have. It's a great book and the authors are really entertaining. So it's also a fun read. Oh, good. Okay. So thanks for the feedback and who wrote it? I'll have to look it up. Okay. No problem. We can put it in the show notes. Okay. Okay. And what is the post-it? I don't know if you're a post-it queen. I literally have nope. post-its that remind me to drink water, which I started at the beginning of this episode. I, I'll move back to the microphone. So like, look at all my colored post-its. So much fun. What's the post-it that I need to write and all of us need to write with respect to remembering how to take those high stakes situations or in practicing everyday negotiations? Yeah, I'm looking around at all my stickies. I think it is understand your value so you increase your confidence to advocate for yourself. And that's a daily. Yeah. Yeah. Understand your value to increase your confidence. To advocate for yourself every day. Advocate for yourself. The I am statements. You know, that I am my best advocate. I am confident moving in forward. I am. So really, when you say that to yourself, that increases your confidence. Yeah. Hugely. And then what's your walk-up song, Susie? Oh, my walk-up. Oh, wow. It has to be a pink song. I don't, just because I heard her yesterday, I can't think of a specific song. But there's something about the way that she sings with such command and so much confidence that I think it's beyond the words for me. It's that feeling that she invokes in me. And I think, gosh, that's what I want to do for others. <laughs> Negotiation, you know, can't, I'm not pink, but I feel, I'm sorry, I don't have a specific one, but it's like anything pink does. Wow. And what you talked about is that feeling, right? That feeling she invokes. And I want everyone who's listening here today to also, I share Susie's like big ask, which is to advocate for yourself yes. and to command that respect that you can get from doing a little prep, some awareness and anticipation, closure and evaluation. I hope I got them all. Those are the PACE frameworks that we shared today. And look in the show notes, you'll see Susie's link, you'll all, Susie's LinkedIn link and her book. And we'll also include thanks for the feedback as well. So Susie, we're going to stop recording, but from me to you, thank you for everything. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for the gifts that you share every day. And thank you just for the wonderful human being you are. And it's been great. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this, use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love, leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.